circle and bring my Bible to I look like to the Lord of Jesus who killed for me and you. I learn how Jesus shines his light so all the world can see. And I can be a lighthouse if I let him shine through me. Oh, what? 
Very good, children. And Carlita, very good. Thank you so much. Isn't this wonderful? This, this is just wonderful. Thank you. Buono. 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 Awa bariki. Buono. Awa bariki. Buono. Awa bariki. Milele. Buono. a reading from the Word of God. What's a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in us, mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 53. 
Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So say, stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. And that's God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God. This season of Sundays after Easter are uh, pretty exceptional, and we want to uh, lift up each one and, and mind them for what they say about our understanding of God and what they also say about our understanding of ourselves. It's kind of going back to the mother load of what the early church thought and how they made sense of Jesus and the impact of Jesus on their lives. And it's in that spirit and under um, those terms and understandings that we have found our way to the experience of God and seek to find our way forward in our experiences with one another. Many people hear that passage of the ascension and they're, they're kind of mystified by it because it just seems like a little bit of a, a stretch of the possibilities. They, they think more that perhaps it's an embellishment, a theological embellishment, some, something that makes the religious point um, but is exaggerated in its uh, historicity and its reality. Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Lord and Savior, we say, and we say, and now he then reigns, sits triumphantly at the right hand of God, the world as his footstool. These are the kind of languages, words that we use, judging the living and the dead, awaiting the final consummation of his purposes of bringing forward God's kingdom. This is our theology, these are the kind of things that we say to one another, or your pastors say to you. And we think that ascension, that the physical act of ascension adds a little more credence uh, to these claims. Yet many folk look at and listen to what was just read and say, uh, come on. Wait a second, he, he floated off into the heavens? That's a little absurd, a little comic, a little strange. They're good-hearted, they can, they can accept the theology, the importance of Jesus and, 
and what Jesus is doing, but when it comes down to the actuality of the event, they wonder. Many of us wonder, well, how can this be? Some years ago, I came across this news story from our uh, heralded local newspaper, The Star. And, and this is why The Star has such a good reputation, because it printed this story. I don't know if, if you uh, saw this. I don't, maybe it was a decade ago. I don't know. Dateline, Sao Paulo. Title, Hopes Fade for Priest Attached to Balloons. You don't get that in every paper. <laughs> I was drawn to the story because of that headline, because in our family, Bill's Balloon Ride was one of the favorite books. And uh, you're going to want to get it for your great-granddaughter. Uh, Bill's Balloon Ride, whether male or female, it's a great story. Bill wants to see the world. He's, he's got some limitations being a, a little guy. And he's got a bed, a four-poster bed. And he's realized that balloons go up. So if he can only get enough balloons, tie them to the four posts of the bed, the bed will rise up, zoom out the window, and he'll be able to see the world. It's a marvelous, marvelous story. Apparently, this priest read Bill's balloon ride. Here's what the reporter says. Hopes dimmed on Wednesday for a priest who vanished after sailing into the air under hundreds of colorful balloons. The priest, Reverend Adelir Antonio de Carli, was a paragliding student who seemed to want a bigger and a better experience. The cleric's former flight teacher called his disappearance a tragedy foretold, since he was a headstrong and anxious individual who was always in a rush for a new experience. The article goes on to say the 41-year-old Roman priest had been missing for four days since taking off from a port city down there, wearing a helmet, an aluminum thermal flight suit, waterproof coveralls. He was thinking it might be damp. A parachute and a lot of balloons. What was this guy thinking? I don't know, but he's not the only one. Apparently, after the first service, somebody came up to me and said, maybe a decade ago, there was a guy in Long Beach in a lawn chair with balloons. <laughs> and he went up in the air. Maybe it's more common than I thought. <laughs> but it strikes me that here you have a beloved priest who... He's doing the orders of the day. He's praying six times a day. He's up two or three times in the middle of the night praying to Jesus. He's getting close to Jesus. He's, he's picturing something. He's feeling something. He's wanting something. And somehow, balloons, flight jacket, makes sense. Makes sense. 
Maybe he wanted to have his own kind of ascension experience, see, see what it was really like. Yet it strikes me that you, uh, you can't really be like Jesus unless you're really like Jesus. Our scriptures report to us that Christ worked miracles, performed healings, offered grace beyond merit, shared love in the face of hate, willingly suffered the horrors of a persecuted death, and then had the glory of a resurrection from a tomb. I have not met many people like this. None, actually, except this one that we're speaking of today. The disciples in the early church community are saying, the one that we thought of as teacher and dared to believe would become Messiah, this one has risen and is rightly called Lord and Savior, for He has saved us from our sins and He is redeeming all of creation. And as Lord and Savior, He has rightly assumed His proper place in union with God. You see, the early church in its thinking is having one theological thought, insight, lead to another theological insight, all anchored in their experience of the reality of the resurrection. It's as if the power of the resurrection is flexing itself backwards and forward in their thinking as they try to make sense of who this Jesus was and is. They're remembering stories that were told about what he said and things he did. And they're seeing them in a different light now. They're seeing them in a resurrection light, not just as a follower, a disciple following light. Because if you, you've read your Gospels, you know those disciples. They don't measure up very well until the resurrection happens. Before that, they're kind of at a loss for really comprehending the largeness of what is happening here in Christ Jesus. But once the resurrection happens, then they start thinking, well then, do you remember this? Do you remember that? How, what sense do we make of that then? Those stories of his birth, what sense do they make now knowing that he is resurrected? Maybe that story about shepherds, maybe that, that tale about wise men coming, maybe there's some, something going on here with that. Let's, let's think about that. Find out more about that. Let's, let's figure out what's going on about these things that we kind of witnessed or heard about and didn't quite know what to make of. And they did that forward-looking as well. Jesus resurrected as the Christ gives way to a new 
theological understanding. God descended, incarnate in human form. Crazy language, crazy thoughts, thoughts we think true in light of the resurrection. God came to be with us in that intimate kind of way to show us the way to be intimate with God. They looked back to incarnation. They looked forward in their thinking to ascension. And they said, you know, friends, this really seems kind of crazy, but this is, this makes some sense to me now. Of course, a resurrection has to be preceded by an incarnation. And what do you do with a resurrection if you don't end it with an ascension? Where is your logic? Where is the economy of action of grace? So it all comes together. The Advent journey is completed in Eastertide. Incarnation gives rise to ascension. And we find ourselves in a place of saying, Christ Jesus reigns. So Paul comes along. He's not the first generation disciple, right? He's considered an apostle. He's, he's a little on the, on the footsteps of the other group that's going through, but he catches up pretty quick and writes most of the stuff that we grind our faith, ground our faith experience in. So he's writing to the Philippians. And listen to this language that I will share with you. This is, this is uh, heavy-duty theology now that we're talking some 10 or 20 years later. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is not the thinking of people who have not done some serious thought and prayer about some radical experience of God intervening in human life. You don't come up with this stuff. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is uh, what we affirm. This is things we say about God's revelation in our human life. The way we try to make some sense of what God could possibly be doing with a resurrection. 
preceded by an incarnation and followed by an ascension. Today's a big day. Woohoo! Ascension Sunday. It's part of the package of your faith. You got to go somewhere with Easter. Where are you going to go? Philosophically, theologically, where do you go? The early church went to a mountaintop, and they got a little confused. It was either up around Galilee or it was down around Jerusalem. Um, if you were part of the crew that thought it was in Jerusalem, um, your heirs have built a church around a stone that has a footprint in it that you know is Jesus's. You know it is. And moderns go and take a look at it. And it looked like a footprint, didn't it, Meredith? <laughs> Pretty amazing. But maybe it was up in the Galilee where this he departed for them happened. On Ascension Sunday, we try to get our brains around something that's just a little foreign to us but makes a bit of sense if we have decided to anchor our lives in the resurrection. Adoration and glorification of God as known through what has been revealed to us through Christ. Embracing these large mysteries, these unknowable realities from our point of view, from our way of making sense of things. Thinking that the purposes of the divine might actually be a little bit bigger than our purposes and our thinking. Now, that's a lot for a dyed-in-the-wool enlightenment rationalist that I am to say, and perhaps for a lot of us to embrace. But that is what we embrace. And as we find ourselves giving ourselves over to the mysteries that are beyond um, what we can hammer down and hold tight in rationalism, we find windows of grace and tender mercies opening to us that are not there when we cling to the human mind. So, I want to say glory to God today. Say that with me. Glory to God. And having done that so well, I want to invite Gloria. <laughs> to uh, take to the piano. I want all of you to stand up. Turn in your red hymnal. Stand as you're able uh, to page 71. And there you will find the Gloria Patre. Some of you, if you were raised like I was, you sang this every Sunday for most all of your life. You probably could sing it um, with the lights out. For some of you, perhaps this is new. But this is one of the great traditional songs of praising of God, number 71. Glory be to the 
the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. In the beginning, it is now and ever shall be. Well done. Be seated. Well done. Very nice. Very nicely done. That is the thing with us. We old timers, we're all old timers. We were singing our hearts out. We meant what we were just saying, didn't we? You get a couple of these youngsters here in this group, and they're going to be going, well, that was pretty staid. <laughs> you want me to believe that these guys felt that with their whole heart? Why weren't they, oh, you know? But that's who we are. That's who we are. So it's believed that Luke wrote Luke and Acts, but whoever wrote Luke and Acts, the presentation in Acts of the Ascension is just a little bit different than the presentation in Luke. And I kind of like the difference of it um, because it's a little sacrilegious. So they're up at this mountain, and the disciples are all around Jesus, and just like a coach before the game, Jesus is giving his final pep talk about what they ought to be doing, getting them riled up, getting them ready to go. They're very excited. They're uncertain, but he's saying, listen, I'll be with you always. I'm going to send the Spirit. We got this covered. Go for it. And then he departs from them into the sky, and they... Well, like us, if we were there, what would you be doing? You'd be, <laughs> yeah, you'd be looking up, gazing. The scripture says, gazing into the sky. They were gazing after Jesus as he departed into the sky. Two angels show up and say to the disciples, What are you guys gawking at? Don't you get it? What are you gawking at with your mouth open looking into the sky? Don't you get it? Go and live out his message. It's important for us moderns, particularly, I think, us Westerns, us Americans, to humble ourselves before God. We need to glorify God, to put ourselves, to get ourselves into the right place, to back a bit away from the abyss of hubris of where we're ruling the world where we are God. It's healthy for us to glorify God, get our heads straight. But we don't just do that to be doing this our whole lives. 
We do this to get ourselves straight so that we can love and make Jesus' vision for our world come true. So stop gawking. Get out there. Do it. Amen.